I so appreciated Brandon's teaching the last two weeks. I learned so much. I'm sure you learned so much. And he has been given a gift by the Lord to communicate. And he's been given a heart for worship. And that just shines through whenever he shares. And I am just convinced that Brandon and Haley are just the couple um, that we need here at Abundant Life to build on the foundation that Ron and Roger have laid. What a wonderful foundation to build on. And so God has provided. And one of the things that we've been talking about, as Brandon and I have met, is that the sermon portion of our worship service is still worship. Everything we do is worship. And so when we come to God and we sit at his feet to learn from his word, uh, we are worshiping right now. And I pray that as we continue to look at the upside down values and ways of God's kingdom, that we would become more aware of his presence, that we become more aware of his glory. So, let's get back to this series. What a wonderful passage of scripture we are looking at as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Probably more has been written about these chapters in Matthew, maybe than any other part of scripture. And so there's been a lot said on these very amazing verses. And we're going to continue to look at them. We've covered a lot of ground already. So I think it would be good since it's been three weeks since we've been in the series to do a bit of a review. And then we will look, then we'll move forward with Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. So let me pray. We'll, we'll review and then we'll look at some new verses. Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that we would become more aware of your presence. What a tremendous thought that you are with us, that you live inside of us, that the veil has been torn, that you desire to commune, to fellowship with us, and you desire to grow us in your likeness. Lord, we pray that this part of our worship service would be pleasing to you, that we would focus in on what you might want to say to us through your still small voice, or maybe it might even be a yell for some of us. Thank you that you do love us just the way we are, but you refuse to let us stay the way we are because of your great love for us. Lord, we pray that your spirit would fill us, teach us, enlighten us, and transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you may recall that Jesus, he comes onto the scene and he starts preaching this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This was the gospel that Jesus preached. And what Jesus was saying was, hey, the time has arrived. God, life with God and his kingdom is now available. It is now available. So repent and believe 
that good news. Jesus, what he was preaching was this opportunity of a lifetime to live life with God, to live in his kingdom. Opportunity of a lifetime because of who God is, right? Jesus is saying, you can now have a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. You can have a relationship with him. That is available to you now. He was also saying, and you have access to his kingdom, which is a kingdom that is so unlike the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus has explained how so in the opening lines of his sermon. And we've looked at these, right? The kingdom of the world, in it, there's endless sorrow. Sorrow after sorrow in the kingdom of the world. But in God's kingdom, the kingdom we now have access to, the kingdom that's now available to us, there is comfort for those who mourn. In the kingdom of the world, it's the assertive, it's the brash, it's the pushy, it's the arrogant that seem to have their way and get their way. And the meek are taken advantage of, but not in God's kingdom. The meek are blessed in his kingdom. In the kingdom of the world, there's all kinds of wicked schemes going on, isn't there? Lying, cheating, manipulating, people doing those sorts of things. But in God's kingdom, righteousness prevails. In the kingdom of the world, there's all kinds of conflict and discord. And if people oppose you, you destroy them. And if you don't destroy them physically, you destroy their reputation, you destroy their credibility. We see this all around. Look at corporate America. This is, what, this is how it goes. This is a dog-eat-dog world, right? Not in God's kingdom. Reconciliation that leads to peace is the way of life in God's kingdom. And so you can see that because of who God is, because what his kingdom is like, this message of good news that a relationship with God and an entrance and life in his kingdom is an opportunity of a lifetime. And what's also remarkable about this opportunity is that it is open to everyone, which is also so different than the kingdom of the world. We've talked about this in the past. That in the kingdom of the world, you're accepted if you look a certain way. If you adorn your body in a certain way, then you're a part of the cool group. If you get the right grades, then you get accepted into college. If you have the right skill set, then you get the role for the play or you get the, the position on the basketball team. If you perform well enough, then doors open for you. So... That's how acceptance is based in the kingdom of the world. You've got to have the right performance record. Not in God's kingdom. Everyone is invited and everyone can be accepted in. It's not based on your performance record. It's a free gift from God or it would not be good news, would it? If the message was, get yourself together. Fix your life. You're messed up. Fix it. Then God might love you. And then God might accept you. 
then that wouldn't be good news. And Christianity would be no different than any of the other main religions of the world who say you got to work up the ladder to get to God. And if you do enough good, then maybe he'll accept you. Abundant life with God in his kingdom is a free gift made possible through Jesus. Anyone can receive this gift. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. Sounds like a Backstreet Boys song, doesn't it? (laughs) I got the Barbie mic on. I just need some other members up here with me. All that is required is two things. Repentance and belief. That's how you receive the kingdom. That's how you're born again into the kingdom. Repentance and belief. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What is repentance? Look, we can get so familiar with words we hear all the time that we don't even remember. Then they become unfamiliar. Their true meaning. What's repentance? We typically view repentance as sorrow over a sin that we commit. Now, true biblical repentance is not less than this, but it is definitely more. You see, the Greek word that's behind repentance literally means to change your mind, to change your purpose. It is to change one's view on life. It's to get rid of one approach to life and then adopt another. It is to get rid of one strategy for living and adopt another strategy for living. Repentance is you're heading in one direction, and you stop, and you go completely in the opposite direction. We're talking about a lifestyle change, not just remorse for an individual sin. That's repentance. And then there is belief. Now, a lot of times when we use the word belief, you know, we say, like, uh, I be- it, it's, it, we use it in the sense that we believe something to be true. You know, but the Greek word that's behind this word repentance that's translated re- or a belief doesn't just merely mean to believe something that is true. It actually means to transfer one's trust to. To transfer one's trust to. It is, I believe that it is true, and so I am going to commit to that which I believe is true. That is biblical belief. If I say I believe in a person, I'm not just saying I believe they're a human being or that they exist. I'm saying I'm going to transfer my trust to that person. And now we are clearly able to see what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying stop. Examine your life. You will find that, yes, there are individual sins that you should be sorrowful for and you should repent of. But most importantly, you must repent from an entire lifestyle 
you must abandon a whole strategy for living, which is the sin that's beneath all your other sins. You see, you have pridefully decided that you could find abundant life apart from God and by being the master of your own life. And it's not working. Transfer your trust from that lifestyle to a lifestyle of having me as your master. Trust that I, Jesus is saying, am the doorway to life with God in his kingdom that leads to true abundant life. Have me as your master and commit to being with me to learn from me how to live like me. And I will transform you by my spirit into a person that lives out the upside down ways and values of my kingdom. Then you will find rest for your soul. Then you will find the joy that you crave. Then you will find the significance and purpose that you long for. Then you will find perfect uh, love that just casts out and drives out all fear. Then you will find the freedom that your heart thirsts for. That's how we are to respond to the good news of King Jesus in the kingdom of God. We repent, we abandon our strategy for living, and we believe. We say yes to Jesus and his strategy for living. We say yes to his upside-down kingdom. We go from saying, my will, my way, right, my time, to your will, your way, your time. That's repentance and belief. Remember... This is precisely what Jesus meant when he started out his beatitude, started out the beatitudes with, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The poor in spirit have come to the, the, the end of themselves. They've, they've put up the white flag of surrender. They have come to the understanding, they're no longer under the illusion that they can make for themselves abundant life. They are the ones who are poor in spirit. They're the ones who God, by his grace, has put them in a position to repent and believe. This is an offer of a lifetime. And so I have to stop and ask all of you here, what have you done with this invitation? This invitation to live life with Jesus in his kingdom where real abundant life can be found. Do you understand that nothing can keep you away from grabbing hold of this invitation except yourself? Have you given up yet? Have you come to the end of yourself? Are you finally sick and tired of my will, my way, my time. Have you raised the flag of surrender? Have you turned to a life of self-reliance to God-reliance? That's the question. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever. It's one of the most glorious words. <laughs> Your note's up there, isn't it? That's great. <laughs> Somehow that got in the verse. Mary said, hey, you need a transition here. If you're reading it on the screen, that's awesome. Whoever, this is my transition. That is one of the most glorious words in all of scriptures, all of the scriptures, whoever. No one has to be excluded from the gospel. The saddest thing, I think, in all life is that people choose to exclude themselves. Jesus' life just demonstrated this whoever by who he spent his time with. Think about who Jesus spent his time with. And this just bugged the Jewish religious leaders of the day. He spent time with people who didn't follow God's rules. He spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes and leopards. Lepers. Leopards. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> Lepers. The sick. The poor. These were the outcasts, the marginalized. The religious Jewish leaders, they didn't like the whoever part of Jesus' message. But then there's this question, right? And I am sure, and we have evidence of it, that the people who are listening to Jesus preach the gospel had this question. But what about God's rules? Won't that, you know, if you just preach this radical message of grace, won't that just lead to people living however they want to live? Won't that just lead to licentiousness? Is Jesus coming onto the scene and just chucking all the rules of the Old Testament out the window? How dare he? Who does he think he is, right? Does he really think that God is going to turn a blind eye to sin? Will God just forget about his righteousness and his justice that is in the Old Testament, found in his laws that he gave to Moses? Surely that's what some of the people who were thinking when they listened to Jesus preach this radical message of grace. And that's why Jesus said this. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle. I love that part. I've said that so many times in my head this week. Jot and tittle. Till heaven and earth pass away, I'm going to say it again, yes, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Bam. So, is Jesus chucking the Old Testament out the window? Which, law and prophets, that's, it's the entire Old Testament, by the way. 
No. He says he's not even getting rid of one jot or tittle in the Old Testament. What's a jot and a tittle? Well, those are some of the smallest of Greek and Hebrew letters. It would be like the dot on the top of our I, right? Or a hyphen or a period or one of our small letters in our alphabet. In fact, Jesus says he's not even getting rid of a jot or tittle. He's saying that, look, one who breaks any one of these commandments is going to be considered least in the kingdom of God. And then he says this crazy statement that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of God. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? Who were the scribes and Pharisees? And is Jesus totally contradicting himself? Is he, is he speaking out one side of his mouth, and, you know, and then switching and speaking out the other side of his mouth? What about the gospel of grace? Does one really have to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes? Look, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were the religious leaders of the Jewish people, and they took God's laws, and they found and counted 248 commands in the Old Testament law and 365 prohibitions, and they seeked to live in obedience to every single one of them. Jesus' disciples and others and Jesus' audience had to be confused. Jesus seems to be saying that the kingdom of God is, is grace. And then he seems to be saying you have to keep the law better than the Pharisees. So which is it? Are we saved by grace or works? Is it by grace? Then what about the law? If it's by law, then what about grace? Here's the answer. Are we saved by grace or works? Drum roll. We are saved. Thank you. That was great. We are saved by works. I don't know if this is up there. Mary said, don't pause too long here. If I don't have your attention, perhaps I do now. We are saved by works. Now, before you tear off your garments, before there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, before you call me a heretic, hear this. We experience the salvation of life with God in his kingdom now and forever through, the wor- through works, but not our works. Through Jesus' works, we are saved by Christ's work. In our passage, Jesus says that he fulfills the law in the prophets. He does this in several ways, but let me just highlight two of them to you. First of all, he is the only person that has truly obeyed every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. Only person. Can you imagine that? He not, never did he disobey one little aspect of the law. Not once. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he knew no sin. Jesus lived the fully human life that he intended all of us to live. 
but that we couldn't. The reason we couldn't is because of the sin disease we've contracted. So that's one way that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. He obeyed it all perfectly. Secondly, Jesus fulfilled the law by dying on the cross and satisfying the demands of the law against those who would believe in him. And so the consequence, it was written in the law that the consequence for disobeying the law was the curse of death. Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. What is the curse of the law? It's, it's, it's death. It's death. Romans says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. And this death, death consisted of a severed relationship with God, a severed relationship with yourself. So there's all this internal confusion, a severed relationship with other people and with creation. And what God's righteous and just law demands is that we experience this curse of death now and forever in increasing measure. That is right, just, and fair. Praise God that Jesus met this demand of the law in his suffering. While he was on the cross, the eternal hell that we deserved was packaged in a few horrific, intense, can't even imagine, hours. Just thinking about the intensity of the horror that he was going to experience, Jesus sweat drops of blood. And what he did when he was on the cross is he absorbed every last drop of the death penalty that the law demanded for our sin in our place. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus fulfills the law because he obeys it perfectly, but he also fulfills the law because he satisfies the demand of the law for us. You see, when we come to Jesus in repentance and belief, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it becomes true for us. Our sin credited to Jesus' account, his atoning death for us satisfies the demand of the law, that curse of death that we incurred and, and earned for ourselves, and in exchange, Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. The result is, is that Christ's perfect obedience to the law becomes ours. God sees us as if we were just as courageous, just as loving, just as self-sacrificial, just as humble as Jesus was. Look, the law is upheld. Was not, I mean, our sin was judged. It was paid for. Law was upheld. We're viewed as if we obeyed it all. So not only is our sin paid for, but our obedience is there. And we experience grace. Grace and law are both upheld on the cross. 
It's amazing. That's how God can be the just and the justifier. And there's one, and I'll close with this, there's one other aspect. Actually, there's probably a couple other aspects of how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. But here's another one. Here it's. He gives us his spirits. And this was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament that this was, would happen, and Jesus fulfills it. The prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah predicted this time when God's spirit would live inside his people so that they would have the power to obey his laws. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So now, here's another way that the law is fulfilled. We are being turned into people that are growing in obedience to the law. And this is why one of the reasons God saved us. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 3, and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, there's no way we could be obedient to God because of the way that sin had a death grip on us. And the, and the problem wasn't the law, it was us, right? So for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, it could not make us perfectly obedient. It could not grow us in obedience to the law. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, meaning he paid our sin fully through his death. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So God has given us his spirit so that we are able to live out the moral aspects of God's law. One pastor by the name of John Stott, he explains it this way. I think it's so good. We are set free from the law as a way of acceptance but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness. It is, a ground, it, is, it, it is as a ground of justification that the law no longer binds us. But as a standard of conduct, the law is still binding. And we seek to fulfill it as we walk according to the Spirit. So here's a question. This brings us full circle. And these are the last questions I'll ask you this morning. Earlier, I asked you, have you accepted Jesus' invitation of a lifetime? Have you accepted it? Have you given up yet on your strategy for living, and have you accepted Jesus' strategy for living? Is he the master of your life, or are you still the master of your life? Here's how you know if Jesus is the master of your life. This is how you know. Are you growing in obedience to all that Jesus commands? That is the result of the salvation that God gives us. Is that we have the spirit inside of us that grows us in obedience to, all, to Jesus and all that he taught. And so you have to look at your life, and you have to ask, am I growing in obedience to Jesus? Is my life demonstrating that? 
Think about where you were at last year compared to this year. Has there been growth? Think about where you were even, you know, three, three years ago. Is there growth? Think about where you were six months ago, a month ago. Has there been continued growth in obedience? That is the test. It is not, you know, do I come to church on Sundays? It is not, you know, do I sing while I'm at church? It is not, do I say my bedtime prayers? It is not, do I know what Jesus commands? He didn't say, you know, in Matthew 28, go into all the world, baptizing them and teaching them to know all that I've commanded. It is not, do I read my Bible? These are all good things, but if they're not leading to an increased obedience to Jesus and all he taught, they're garbage. Right? Repent and believe. If, if you're sitting there right now, then, and God is convicting you, he's helping you understand that you have not waved the white flag of surrender, please do so today. Dedicate your life to him. Say to him, look, Jesus, I don't know all what it means to follow you. But I am committing this day that I am going to be with you to learn from you how to do what you teach. I'm trusting you died for my sins and that you're going to give me your spirit to empower me to do what I can't do on my own. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so glad that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're so glad that you desire to grow us in obedience to your commands. Not because you are a killjoy, but because you know that that's when we will most glorify you and when we will experience the greatest amount of happiness and pleasure and joy in life now and forever in eternity. We thank you for your law because it, it teaches us our need for you and your grace, but it also teaches us life possible. What pleases you and how we can live the most abundant life possible. Lord, I pray that if there isn't or if there is somebody that hasn't surrendered their life to you, that you would so convict and move them that today would be the day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.